Let's, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to be looking at Hebrews chapter 7 today, and we are biting off all of Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, the, it's one unit, so it needs to be preached as one unit. If we're going to be faithful to God's word, that's my desire as we walk through these, is, is to look at the paragraphs in a way that they make most sense. It makes it long, though. It's 28 verses. And so my temptation was to just, you know, cut out some of it and, and deal with the part I liked. Uh, but we're not going to do that. Uh, the first 15 verses or 14 verses of Hebrews chapter 7, though, are a, an illustration that points to and helps us understand the meat, the teaching, so to speak, that we're going to find in the last half of Hebrews. And so I want to go ahead and read the first 14 verses. We'll get those verses out before us. And then uh, I'm going to preach through in three sections the last three uh, paragraphs, so to speak. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. God's word says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God Most High, met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem meaning king of peace. Without father, mother, genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now consider how, this, how great this man was, that even Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the plunder to him. Now, I'm going to pause there for just a moment in our reading to help you catch up on this illustration. You, you, this tells us more about Melchizedek than we learn anywhere else. Melchizedek is described and defined and, and used as an illustration by the writer of Hebrews. We see more written about him in Hebrews than we do in the original story back in Genesis. Melchizedek was this king of what eventually became Jerusalem, of course, the, the seat, the capital of, of, of Israel, of Judah. Uh, and he was this great king, but even as Abraham was coming into the promised land the first time and passing through, Abraham gave homage to Melchizedek by giving him a tithe. And so the writer of Hebrews is going to use this as an illustration as to talk about what an incredible priest Melchizedek was. Now, Melchizedek was not uh, God. He wasn't the son of God. Melchizedek, there's no record of who his parents were, who his grandparents were. We don't know anything about Melchizedek, his family after this event. All we know is that Melchizedek somehow was a priest to the Most High God. Abraham recognized that, and Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek. The writer of Hebrews is going to use that and, and point out how Melchizedek was this great priest who even the, the father of all of Israel bowed down to and gave a tithe to, and yet there's a priest even greater than Melchizedek. That's the point that we're going to get to. And you need to understand a little bit of that background about Melchizedek. So the, and so the writer of Hebrews is using this in illustration. So pick back up in verse 4 again. Now consider how great this man was, that even Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the plunder to him. The sons of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a command according to the law to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brothers and sisters, though they have also descended from Abraham. But one without this lineage collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. 
Without a doubt, the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, men who will die receiving a, a men who will die receive a tenth. But in the other case, Scripture testifies that he lives. And in a sense, Levi himself, who receives a tenth, has been paid a tenth through Abraham, for he was still within his, within his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Verse 11. Now, if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood on the basis of it, the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear? Said to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron. For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of the law as well. For the want, these things are spoken about belonged to a different tribe. No one from it has served at the altar. Now it is evident that our Lord came from Judah. And Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priest. So here you have in these 15 verses, the writer of Hebrews laying this foundation because he's writing to people who were familiar with this Old Testament story. They were familiar with the stories of Abraham. They were familiar with Melchizedek and this strange figure. And of course, Abraham was, was elevated uh, because he was the one who received that, that covenant from God, that blessing from God that all of Israel descended from. And so as, as the writer of Hebrews is going to teach us and make a case for who Jesus is, especially to those Hebrews who were so invested in their lineage and invested in, under, in their worship and, and their, 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 the historical uh, lineage that they'd received from Abraham, they, they would understand that, that Abraham was elevated to this extremely high place in their minds. And Melchizedek is the one who Abraham paid a tenth to. And in some ways, uh, looked up to Melchizedek, even though we know very little about him. And yet in the Psalms, the writer of the Psalms tells us that there was going to come a priest forever in the lineage of Melchizedek. And so the writer of Hebrews is, gonna, is, is pointing toward already this one who came as a priest from the tribe of Judah, who in some ways was like Melchizedek and that he had no earthly lineage. Now, read on with me because we're going to begin. This is where the sermon, the message I want to bring it from is verses 15 down through verse 28. So the first thing that we learn here about Jesus as a priest in the order of Melchizedek, we learn in these first eight verses that he was the promised one who fulfilled that promise that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. And this becomes clear, verse 15, this becomes clearer If another priest like Melchizedek appears, who did not become a priest based on legal regulation about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life, for it has been testified, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And that's where the writer of Hebrews points back to this passage in Psalm 110, as that was a prediction of Christ. And he points back to that prophecy that Jesus is the one who's going to fulfill that promise of God that was given in the Psalms. So the previous command is annulled because it was weak and unprofitable. For the law perfected nothing, but a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. None of this happened without an oath. For others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath 
made by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. So the first thing that the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand about this, it's, it's kind of, I'll be real honest, it's a weird idea for us because we're, we're not familiar with Melchizedek and we're not familiar so much with the, with the Levitical priesthood and the Abrahamic covenant and how God worked through Aaron and the Levit- Levitical priesthood to teach the Israelites truth and to teach them about his holiness and teach them how to come to him. And we, we're a little bit familiar. They used to do sacrifices and they had to, they had to kill goats every once in a while. And they had to kill some sheep every once in a while. And they had to shed blood as a symbol of their forgiveness of sin. And in our culture, you know, we, just if we read the Old Testament, we're kind of familiar with that, but it's not as meaningful to us. But the writer of Hebrews is trying to bring this to the, the, the culture where Jesus has, has brought a new covenant, has brought a new law, and he's tying it back to this Abrahamic covenant and the Levitical priesthood. And he's hoping, he's wanting them to understand that Jesus came and he fulfilled all of that and he brought something much better. And so the first thing that we learn about this Jesus, ultimately I titled the message today, Jesus Christ, he's the priest that we need. We don't need another Levitical priest. We don't really need a priest like Melchizedek. See, the Levitical priesthood could not perfect anyone. He's already said that in this text. But Jesus can. There was much that we could learn through the the Levitical priesthood and through that system. There's much that Israel learned about the holiness of God and how God sees sin. But they couldn't be redeemed through the Levitical priesthood. And scripture's gonna tell us why here. So the first thing we learn is that this Jesus is the priest that we need. He was the promised one of God. He's the one that God promised from the very beginning. He's the one that God promised was coming. He's the one that we see in Psalm 110 that was gonna come in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the promised one of God. He has no, he doesn't descend from anyone else except for the heavenly father. His father God is his origin. That's the most important thing to understand about Jesus is Jesus stepped out of heaven from the throne room of God. He is God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And so Jesus, the son of God, is in his very essence God. And so he is a priest unlike any other priest that that they had ever known. Because he came from the throne room of heaven to enter into our lives. So verse 15, it becomes clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears who did not become a priest based on legal regulation about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. Jesus is a priest based on the power of an indestructible life that came from the throne room of heaven. He doesn't have a a, a priestly lineage. He didn't even have... If the Jews were to look at his lineage through Joseph or through through Mary, it doesn't go back to the Levitical priesthood. Jesus had a lineage unlike any other. He was the promised of God, and the Father was his origin. He became a priest because his Father made him a priest. Second thing that you see here is he fulfilled the oath of God. God made a promise, the writer of Hebrews says. And because God made a promise, he fulfilled that through Jesus. Look at verse 20. Nothing of, none of this happens without an oath. For others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath. What was the oath by which Jesus became a priest? 
He tells us, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. The father predicted that he was going to send his son to be a priest who was going to be a priest forever. The writer of Hebrews is going to explain a little bit more later about how Jesus is a priest forever. But Jesus was a fulfillment of God's oath. And then third, as a promise of God, the scripture says here, he is a guarantee of a better covenant. Because of this oath, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. Jesus, through Christ, God implemented a new covenant. Under the first covenant, certainly there were all kinds of rules and regulations that you must obey to, to come into some type of relationship with God. But through Christ, he implemented a new covenant. In fact, Jesus said when he, the night before he died, as he sat down with his disciples and he gave them what, what we celebrate as the Lord's Supper, he reminded them that through my shed blood and through my broken body, there's a new covenant. You'll no longer come to the Father through the shedding of the blood of bulls and goats. We come into a relationship with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so he implemented a better covenant. Then in verses 23 through 25, we see that Jesus, the difference between him and any other priesthood is that Jesus is eternal. He is the eternal priest. He is the only eternal priest that's come from the Father. Verse 23, now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. He makes this logical point. You know what? There's been a whole bunch of Levitical priests. You know why? Because every time one dies, they need a new one. All right? You got to have a priest. So every time one dies, you got to have a new one. And so there's priest after priest after priest after priest after priest. Well, guess what happens? Jesus has come along and he ain't ever going to die. He died once and he rose again and he's done with death. He's, he's resurrected to the right hand of the Father. He's ascended to the throne room of heaven. And so verse 24 says, but because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. Here's the celebration of the writer of Hebrews. Jesus lives forever, and just as he lives forever, so also will all of those who he represents before the throne of his heavenly Father. Jesus will never die. He died on the cross. His body was lowered in the grave. He rose again three days later, and he rose to forever represent those who put their faith and trust in him as our high priest. You don't need a priest to usher you before the throne room of heaven. You don't need a pastor to pray for forgiveness of your sins. And in fact, honestly, I cannot do anything about your sin. It's only through the blood of Christ and your relationship with Jesus Christ himself that there is hope for you and that there's hope for me. I don't need a go-between because Jesus 
has become that go-between. We looked at that at the end of Hebrews chapter 6. I I promised you all a while back when Hebrews kept hinting about this Melchizedek thing and about this priesthood thing and about how Jesus was going to fulfill all of these things that that the writer of Hebrews was going to explain it more. I hope that as he explains it, your eyes don't glaze over because it's really easy to do. Because really, this is, this is where we begin to get to the meat. And this is what's exciting. Because Jesus became the priest that we need. We don't need another priest. We need Jesus. We need a relationship with the one who is the priest forever, who never dies. We, in our human nature, we still struggle with our connection to spiritual leaders. Met a guy a while back. I ended up uh, doing his funeral. It was through a relationship that I developed at the, uh, with a police department serving as a police chaplain. And uh, it was a really sweet man. I enjoyed getting to know him. But he had, uh, he'd asked his son, who was a police officer, if, uh, he'd had, if he knew of someone that could help do his funeral. And the officer said, uh, yeah, he said, we got a couple great chaplains. He said, I'll get with them and see if they'd be willing to do it. And, and so uh, we said, of course we would. And, and, of course, my prayer was to get to know the man, find out whether or not he knew the Lord as his Savior. And, and so over a period of time, I, I got to know him. And, and just a, a really neat guy, a sweet man. He'd been faithful to his church for years. One of the struggles he had, though, was he had a, there was a pastor whom he absolutely loved and had been his pastor for over two decades, over 20 years, and that pastor moved. And when that pastor moved, it really disrupted his walk with the Lord to the extent that he, he had a hard time finding another church, never got settled in another church, never found a pastor who, who he felt like he could connect with, and quit going to church. He became so connected to that man, and when that man moved and that man passed away, that his relationship with Christ waned. See, men are going to come and go. Just a man. One of these days, God is going to move me. You know, it may be with a heart attack. He may leave me here as, as pastor of this church until I pass away. I've been at it 14 and a half years. I'm not intending on going anywhere soon. But we don't know. Ultimately, no matter how you look at it, I'm temporary. I'm just as temporary as you are. Jesus is not. He's not temporary. He never changes. He's always trustworthy. And so he is the priest that we need because he is the eternal priest. If you put your faith in him when you were six years old, he's going to be the same faithful son of God, advocate for you in the throne room of heaven when you're 60 years old because he's always going to be there. He'll never die. Not only will he never die, he'll never change. And because of that, the writer of Hebrews says, when you're saved by Christ, you are saved completely. I love this picture because, see, if you grow up in the Baptist church, you, you kind of grow up with this thought. If I, if I come to faith in Christ, I accept Jesus. I'm, I'm once saved, always saved. It's been a mantra of Baptist going back to the Reformation and before. But these people didn't have that idea. And so when the writer of Hebrews writes this, he says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus isn't able to save you a little bit. 
Jesus is able to save your soul completely. He's able to completely wash away your sin. He's able to completely break the bondage that sin holds over you. Jesus is able to do it all. You don't need Jesus and something else. You need more Jesus filling you up. When we surrender our lives to Christ and we allow him to flow through, the, through us, he is enough. I really struggle with this idea that, in fact, I don't just struggle with it. I think it's wrong. I, people will say, well, you know, I was saved when I was 12, but I really came to Jesus when I was 22 and I was filled with his Holy Spirit. No, you weren't. You might have become obedient and allowed him to take full control of you when you're a little bit older, but when you accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you got all that God intended you to have. 1 Peter 2, 3, 2 Peter 1, 3 tells us that in Christ, I have everything necessary for life and godliness. Jesus is enough, not to save a piece of you, not to save you part way, but to save you completely. Why? Because he is the one promised from God and he is the one who died on your behalf. He's the one who shed his blood and he's the one that's never gonna die again. He's the one who is a priest forever. He's the one whom God sent to save your soul and to give you everything necessary for life and godliness. And it's found in the person of Jesus. And he pours, it can get confusing because Jesus said, I'm gonna send my spirit to be in you. But see, Jesus, the Father, the Father, the Son, the Spirit are all one. And so it's the spirit of the living Son of God who indwells his church and indwells his people. He, when Jesus saves, he saves completely. And then finally, Jesus is not only the promised priest from God, the eternal priest from God, he is the forever perfect priest from God. There were no flaws in his character. There was no sin or no shortcoming in his life. There are no, there, there's nothing that, that, that you can go dig, at, uh, dig up skeletons and find something about Jesus that was wrong because Jesus was perfect from the beginning until the end. Verse 26 says, for this is the kind of high priest we need. <laughs> I love this because the writer of Hebrews has got in the back of his mind, you remember that priest who you love back there at that synagogue? He's a pretty good guy, isn't he? But he ain't the kind you need. Remember that priest that you went and you took that sacrifice to? You know, maybe he was, he, he was really holy and maybe you, you just felt great around his presence, but he's not the kind of priest you need. Because see, he's not, he can't bring to the table what Jesus brings to the table. No matter how good any man is, he can't bring what Jesus brings because this is what Jesus brings. This is the kind of priest that we need. He's holy. He's innocent. He's undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. I love this picture. Jesus is so perfect that he's not exalted to the heavens. He's not exalted in the heavens. He's not exalted to the highest heavens. He is exalted above the heavens 
That word heavens for the writer of Hebrews represents all of creation. And so it's not as though Jesus now lives in some of the, the, the highest, most prominent, most glorious place in creation. Jesus lives above his creation because he's the creator. Not only does life reside in him, he created life. And so he resides above the heavens. The Hubble telescope has given NASA some incredible images of far distant galaxies and distant stars that amaze and, and, and I believe put on display even more of the glory of God than even the psalmist could imagine. The pictures that we get from the Hubble telescope as it's far out there on the edge of our galaxy, sending back photos to us are absolutely incredible. They can't find Jesus because he resides outside of the heavens, above the heavens, because he created all of that. You know, I used to, when, when I was a kid and we sing that little song, he's got the whole world in his hand. We think of the world as being our little earth. Our earth is nothing but a speck of dust compared to the incredible creation of God. And he is so magnificent. He is so much other. He is so greater that he resides above the heavens. Why does this matter? Why does it matter that he was holy? One of the things the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us is because he didn't have to offer a sacrifice for his own sin first. He doesn't need, look in verse 27, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as the high priests do, first for their own sin and then for the sins of the people. Jesus, because he was perfect, because he was sinless, because he was holy, because he was undefiled, because he was the creator of all the universe, he doesn't need to come back and offer sacrifices first for his sin, because he doesn't have any, and second, he doesn't need to do it over and over and over and over and over every day. The writer of Hebrews says in verse 27 that Jesus' sacrifice was enough when he did it once for all time when he offered himself. When a priest would offer a sacrifice of something created by God, he would sacrifice a lamb or he'd sacrifice a dove or he'd sacrifice a goat. Though they may be nearly perfect, they were never perfect. Jesus' sacrifice was perfect in so many ways. It was perfect because he was, it was a personal sacrifice. He gave up himself. It was perfect because it was unblemished. It was undefiled. It was perfect because he... He made a sacrifice from the very heart of the creator, not from something that his father created. He gave up himself. So his offering for your sin and my sin was perfect. Absolutely, positively perfect. The Lord knowing that because of my sin, I would eternally pay a price for that sin. I'd be eternally separated from him. Sent his son who was holy, perfect, undefiled to be a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice for my sin that I could be cleansed of my sin. He did the same for you. He gave up himself. He didn't sacrifice a goat. He didn't sacrifice a bull. He sacrificed himself. That's the kind of priest 
that we needed. That's the kind of priest that we had to have. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak. But the promise of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the son who has been perfected forever. The the second covenant, the covenant that, that God offers us, that promise, that relationship that he offers us is an offer that comes through the sacrifice of his very own son. He shed his blood and died on the cross so that you and I could have eternal life. No offering would ever have to be made again. No sacrifice would ever have to be given again. Jesus gave the one perfect eternal sacrifice so that you and I could enter into a relationship with a perfect eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is the kind of priest that we need, not a human priest, not a priest who was temporary, not a priest who would die, not a priest who would offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then kill something for your sins. We needed a priest who was perfect and holy who would give up his life for us. And there's only been one of those in all of eternity. From the beginning of this creation until today, there's only been one who was born without sin, lived without sin, died without sin, rose again out of the grave to live forever, to offer you an eternal hope, forgiveness for your sin, forgiveness for my sin, so that we could have eternal life with a living God. There's only one priest like that, and his name is Jesus. The beauty of of that gift, the beauty of him as priest, is Jesus didn't just come to offer that gift of salvation to good people. In fact, the problem is people that think they're good people, like in Jesus' day, never came to that place where they even recognized that they needed a priest like Jesus. Jesus came to offer that gift of eternal life to every single human being. Black, white, brown, doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter your pedigree. It doesn't matter how rich or how poor you are. Jesus came to offer you a gift of forgiveness of sins. Not one that was temporary, but one that was eternal. And when you bring your life to him and say, Lord, I am broken. I can't save myself. I need a savior to forgive me of my sins. He offers you that gift of salvation. And he tells me, he tells you and I that if, if you'll repent, if you'll turn away from your sin and turn to follow me, I'll give you the gift of eternal life. There's only one place that you can find that offer. There's only one priest who was perfect and holy and eternal that can make that offer. That priest is Jesus. So as we finish out with this passage today, I want to encourage you. If you have never come to priest Jesus, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, and said, Lord, I want to give you my life. I'm going to encourage you to, to pray about that, consider that today. Yesterday, three people made a life-changing decision. Three people out there at the prayer booth 
decided that they were going to turn from their sin and, and ask Christ for forgiveness of their sins and follow him. Three people that had they passed from this life Friday would have spent eternity in hell if they passed from this life now, spend eternity in heaven. Now, I don't know where everyone in this audience, in this congregation is in your walk with the Lord, but I plead with you, if you have never come to Christ and said, Lord, I want to give you my life. I need forgiveness of my sins. I need forgiveness that only you can give, Jesus. I'm going to plead with you to come. Kevin and I are going to be up here at front, and we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to God's word. And if, if you're not sure about whether, where you are in that, that walk with Christ, if you've never offered Christ your heart, your life, and, and offered to repent of your sin and follow him, this is your opportunity to get that settled today. I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me. I want to pray as Matthew comes. And ask the Lord to move during this time of response. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent your son, not just to teach us, not just to be a good man to give us an example, but you sent your son to be the priest who we need, to offer the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of his own body, to be broken on the cross, shed his blood that we might have an opportunity to receive forgiveness of our sins and to a relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. I pray that, that your spirit would move today and anyone that's within this congregation that's not sure about where they stand in their walk with you. They've never put their trust in you as their priest to, to offer that gift of salvation and cleansing. I pray that today would be the day that your spirit would move them from where they are.